Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with your host, astrologer and author, April Elliott Kent. Hello, invisible friend, April here, and the date today is January 16th, 2023. Welcome to episode 161 of the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. This week, Mercury and Uranus station direct. The sun makes a conjunction with Pluto and enters Aquarius the day before the new moon. Venus makes a conjunction with Saturn, and I answer a listener question about looking on the bright side of your birth chart. On January 18th at 5.12 a.m. Pacific Time, Mercury stations direct at 8 degrees and 8 minutes of Capricorn. Mercury turned retrograde on December 29th, 2022, and it is turning direct now. Of course, it has a shadow period after it turns direct, and it will leave that shadow on February 6th, which is when it reaches the degree that it was at when it turned retrograde. In this case, it was 24 degrees and 21 minutes of Capricorn. The next retrograde will begin on April 21st through May 14th. So go ahead and mark that on your calendar so you can be prepared. I always think of Mercury's retrograde periods as time to catch up with ourselves. A retrograde is an optical illusion. The planet involved is not actually turning backward. It just looks a little bit that way for us. Mercury moves around the sun a lot faster than Earth does. And there will be those times when that discrepancy between our speeds makes it look as though Mercury is going backwards. And it is retrograde the most of all the planets because it goes very fast. So it's retrograde several times each year for a few weeks at a time. And when Mercury is retrograde, it is a time, I think, to go back over things that we've done in previous weeks, to see the flaws in our arguments, to see the things that we might have overlooked or gone by too quickly. And Mercury's retrograde periods are a wonderful time to go back over that and see where we might need to correct our course a little bit. So it's true, it's probably not the ideal time to instigate new activities that are related to Mercury, such as buying a car or a computer or signing agreements, this kind of thing. And the reason is usually that we're not seeing all the facts. We don't know what we don't know. But it's not the end of the world if you have to. It just means that you really need to look things over carefully and build in any kind of warranties or protections that you can. Just about an hour and a half later on January 18th at 6.44 a.m. Pacific time, the sun makes a conjunction with Pluto at 28 degrees and 13 minutes Capricorn. The combination of the sun with Pluto does refer to power and control. And it's about either going for personal ego-defined power or being run over by more powerful forces or hopefully finding empowerment through devoting ourselves to bigger forces than ourselves. 
This is always an aspect that makes us review the limits of our control and our personal power. Now, it's a pretty fast transit. It really is only in effect, I would say, for a day before, so January 17th, maybe to the day after January 19th, but it's at its peak here on January 18th. And it tends to be a day when something will appear in our environment. It could be a situation emerges in your workplace where you find just how few options you have to do things the way you want to do them and to express your personal creativity. This is what happens when the sun comes together with Pluto because they're very different symbols. The sun is representative of how charismatic we are as individuals, the nature of our personal genius, the thing in us that says, I'm here for a reason and I'm important. And Pluto is kind of the opposite of that. Pluto is not too impressed by us personally and wants to always make us see that each of us is important to the extent that we're making a contribution to something more important than our individual selves. So it's not a super comfortable aspect. And this is a day, we have it once a year, and it marks a moment in the year-long solar cycle where there's a little bit of self-doubt. And we wonder if we really are quite as marvelous as we thought we were. On January 20th at 12.30 a.m. Pacific time, the sun enters Aquarius. And on February 2nd, Embolc is celebrated in the pagan calendar. Embolc literally means lamb's milk because this is when the lambing season began. It was also a time of celebrating St. Bridget, the Celtic deity of light, which marks that midpoint between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. Much of this day, February 2nd, or this season, is based on figuring out how soon it's going to be spring so we can plant the crops. It was not considered to be a good thing if this day itself was bright and sunny, because that was said to predict that winter would last for six more weeks. It would be snowy and frosty. But if this day was cloudy and dark, then it was thought the fields would be thawing out soon and we would be ready for planting in a relatively short time. So, of course, that sounds very much like our Groundhog Day, which is based in this idea of the groundhog sticks his head out from the ground. And if he sees his shadow, in other words, if the day is bright and sunny, then we'll have six more weeks of winter. Now, what does it mean astrologically for the sun to be moving through Aquarius? Well, the sun is moving from Capricorn and the darkest time of the year when the sun is at its lowest elevation in the midday sky. As it's moving into Aquarius, it's moving into a sign that is very, very different. On the face of things, we look at the sun in Capricorn and we think this is about playing by the rules, keeping our nose to the grindstone, and trying to achieve things for ourselves. Whereas Aquarius always 
in modern astrology has this reputation for being about breaking the rules, about doing things differently. But really, these two signs show us different faces of Saturn because they are both ruled by Saturn. And between these two signs, we see the fact that you have to know the rules before you can break them. (laughs) So Saturn is the rule maker and Aquarius is the rule breaker. Because unless we break with the past, we can't move forward toward the future, which is Aquarius's main interest and objective. So during this season, as the sun is moving through Aquarius, we are asked to liberate ourselves from the constrictions that we put around ourselves. There are lots of situations where we tell ourselves, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that. And we define ourselves in ways that we think, oh, I'm not a person that could ever do that. But when the sun goes into Aquarius, we ask ourselves, is that really true? The sun does symbolize what we are. And so much of what we are is what we believe we are. So the sun's time in Aquarius to me is always a wonderful time to reevaluate. Am I unwilling to do some new thing or other because I really am not a person who can do that? Or because I've just never believed I'm a person who can do that? the moon report for the week of January 16th, 2023. It begins with the new moon in Aquarius on January 21st at 1253 p.m. Pacific time at one degree and 32 minutes Aquarius on the Sabian symbol to Aquarius, an unexpected thunderstorm. An unexpected can be startling or a little scary, but it also can be very exciting. The new moon, of course, marks the beginning of a 28-day cycle where we plant something new. And it's a very dark time for the moon, so often we're not really sure exactly what it is that we're planting. But we plant seeds of faith. And these seeds are of the nature of Aquarius. What we're saying with our intentions at this new moon is, I want to find my place in the world. I want to find my people. I want to expand my influence into the future. Capricorn is very much based on the here and now, what we want to achieve at this time, in this place. But Aquarius is always looking further ahead down the road. And this is the new moon for asking ourselves what it is that we want to create that will live on after us. It is a creative new moon, but it's not the individual personal creativity of Leo, its opposite sign. Aquarius asks us to pull together with others and collaborate to extend out into the future a creative vision that is so big that we can't really accomplish it on our own. So at this new moon, ask yourself, what is it that I want to create that will live on after me? And how can I find the people who will help me accomplish that. This particular new moon shows the sun and moon together with Pluto. 
Now they're in different signs. Pluto is at the very end of Capricorn and the sun and moon are at the very beginning of Aquarius. But nevertheless, they are together in a conjunction. So go back and listen to what I was saying about the sun in a conjunction with Pluto, because that's very much the nature of this new moon. Each new moon begins not only a 28-day, but also a two-and-a-half-year cycle, the lunar phase gestation or lunar phase family cycle. So to some extent, this new moon chart carries with us for quite a lot longer than just 28 days, which is exciting because it means we have a lot more time to accomplish what this new moon chart suggests for us. The way the lunar phase family works is every nine months, there will be a major lunation at approximately the same degree as this new moon. So make note of these dates, and we put them in the show notes as well. But at the first quarter moon of October 21st, 2023, the moon will be at 28 degrees and 28 minutes of Capricorn, which is almost exactly on the Pluto of this new moon chart but also within just a couple of degrees of this new moon point. This is the point at which we're asked to take strong action in the direction of something that's originating at this new moon. Then on July 21st, 2024, there's a full moon at 29 degrees and eight minutes of Capricorn, which will reveal to us how we're doing with what we instituted at this new moon. How far have we gotten? And then finally, on April 20th, 2025, there's a last quarter moon at one degree and 12 minutes of Aquarius. And that's the final action point in this lunar phase family. It says, based on everything you've done up to now, everything you know, what is it that you need to do and adapt and change to get to the finish line and really accomplish what you set out to do? So you can see each new moon is very important. It's not important just for one month. It takes us through the next two and a half years. So think carefully about what you would like to do at this new moon. Because the sun and moon are at one degree Aquarius, and soon Pluto will be moving into Aquarius and will be right around this point. So it's much more than just what is it that I want to do personally in the next two and a half years. But in what direction is society moving? Is the world moving? And how can I make my contribution? Let's look at the Void of Course moon times for this week. On January 17th, the moon in Scorpio makes a sextile aspect to Pluto. At 6.27 a.m. Pacific time, it's Void of Course for about three hours and then enter Sagittarius at 9.33 a.m. The void, of course, moon times, of course, are wonderful for sitting and reflecting on the moon's last aspect in its sign before it changes signs. So this is a moon in Scorpio, always a little bit brooding and full of deep thoughts and intense emotions when it comes together in a sextile with Pluto. There is an opportunity, because a sextile is an opportunity aspect, to incorporate a lot of these feelings that we've been having over the previous couple of days while the moon's been in Scorpio. And think, 
how to transcend the difficult parts of Scorpio. How do we keep what's nutritional on an emotional level about the moon in Scorpio while eliminating the things that are keeping us stuck in a place that's a little more fearful? On January 19th, the moon in Sagittarius makes a sextile to Saturn at 2.09 a.m. Pacific time. That begins a fairly lengthy void, of course, moon period, about nine hours before it enters Capricorn at 11.11 a.m. Pacific time. The moon in Sagittarius is very buoyant and upbeat and refuses to carry around anything that will weigh it down. And a sextile to Saturn's not the worst thing in the world for a moon in Sagittarius. Because without a little bit of ballast, without being weighed down a little bit by some kinds of commitments and structures, the moon in Sagittarius has a lot of great ideas, but doesn't necessarily find a way to do much with them. So this is a nice void, of course, period for deciding which of the many Sagittarian arrows you have in your quiver that you would like to actually do something with. Then on January 21st, the moon in Capricorn makes a conjunction with Pluto at 7.52 a.m. It's void, of course, for just a little over two and a half hours before it enters Aquarius at 10.29 a.m. Pacific time and is on its way to the new moon. So this is the end of the whole lunar cycle for the month. And the moon in Capricorn is disposed to be very serious. And especially as it makes a conjunction with Pluto, it's looking back over the whole month and saying, what did I get done? Because Capricorn is very oriented towards productivity. and accomplishing things that you can see and quantify. So the moon in Capricorn in a conjunction to Pluto might tend to evaluate itself pretty roughly, and we might not give ourselves as much credit as we should, perhaps, for what we've been getting done. But anytime the moon comes together with Pluto before it goes void, of course, it's time to assimilate those feelings incorporate what we have learned and what we have thought, but be a little gentler with ourselves than either the moon in Capricorn or Pluto will often tend to be. On January 22nd at 2.13 p.m. Pacific time, Venus makes a conjunction with Saturn at 24 degrees and 47 minutes of Aquarius. This is an aspect that we could say is about appreciating things both in form and in function. And really, when Venus comes together with Saturn, the function is what should dictate the form. Now, this is an aspect that can make it a little hard to fully embrace pleasure, (laughs) to feel really happy about our relationship with money and possessions. Venus is about just the things that we enjoy that make us feel good. But Saturn tends to make us feel as if everything needs to be productive and needs to contribute to our growth. A positive way, I think, to look at this aspect is that 
this is a moment in the Venus-Saturn cycle for appreciating how much we can do with very little. I watch a lot of these programs on YouTube where people are living in tiny houses, for example, and how much they can do with how little space seems to be a lot of the point of the exercise. Also, people who are really devoted to frugality, to getting as much mileage as they can out of all their income and all the things that they have, or people who are very interested in minimalism in really having as few objects as they can, really bringing that down to exactly what they need. So there is a real beauty to this concept of Venus with Saturn, because Venus is stuff and possessions and things we like to have, and Saturn puts restrictions on that. But as you can see, restrictions don't have to be a terrible thing. They could be a beautiful thing. How much can I do with the least amount possible? This can also be an important time in Venus's cycle, of course, for relationships. As Venus comes together with Saturn, you might find a relationship becoming more serious or giving it a name that makes it more official. On January 22nd at 2.58 p.m. Pacific Time, Uranus stations direct at 14 degrees and 56 minutes of Taurus. Uranus has been retrograde since August 24th, 2022, and it's one of these planets with a really long retrograde period. Uranus, or any planet, is more influential, I think. It's stronger when it's stationing, when it's moving either retrograde or direct, its qualities seem to be more noticeable. This is a time when change is likely, and especially unexpected change. Uranus is in a wide square to that Venus-Saturn conjunction as it stations direct. So Uranus is going to want to shake us loose, I think, from some of the ways that we try to hold ourselves back or restrict in some way our pleasure in our prosperity. Look to the Taurus house of your chart, particularly the one that contains 14 degrees, 56 minutes of Taurus, and also any planets in your chart within about, say, 5 degrees of 15 Taurus, Leo, Scorpio, or Aquarius. These are the areas of your life and your psyche that will tend to be most influenced by Uranus at this station. In this week's listener question, listener Elliot writes, what are some simple ways people can find natural strengths or joy through their natal chart? An astrologer I used to meet with talked a lot about my potential flaws and hang-ups, but didn't focus enough on what was wonderful, helpful, and strong, leaving me haunted, deflated, overwhelmed, and wondering if I had those awful traits that the astrologer mentioned and was blind to boot. Astrology is a lot about healing, but 
Today I'm saying, that's great, but so much work when you might already be scraping bottom. Where am I awesome? How can I have some fun for a little bit? Take a break. How do I best rest, restore, recharge? If the natal chart is like a map of the soul, it will show roadblocks and potential blowout zones. But doesn't it also provide some helpful clues about what restores us, strengthens us, lifts us up, so we're better able to travel all roads well? Well, my friend Elliot, you have asked an important question and you've put it extremely well. In my opinion, everything in the birth chart has the potential to be wonderful. It really is all in how you use it. And in my opinion, it's an astrologer's job to make you see those possibilities. Now, astrologers do tend to focus on what's challenging because struggles are mostly the thing that bring clients to us. They don't tend to come to us because everything's great. So then we need to acknowledge those difficulties because if we don't, then the client doesn't feel understood. But also we have to, as you say, point out the potential that's lying on the other side of those difficulties. But it is always nice when you're reading somebody's birth chart to accentuate the areas that are easier. Some things we might call blessings. Now, certainly a trine aspect between two or more planets is a good thing to spend time with. Because even if you have a hard planet like Saturn or Pluto, it can bring really good things when there's a planet that is trying them, that's in a 120 degree angle. And to a somewhat lesser extent, a sextile, the 60 degree aspect. So let's say Venus is trying Saturn in the birth chart. And I would say there is a tremendous talent there for manifesting what you value, for building good relationships, making money through the things you enjoy. Now, the problem with trying aspects is that half the time I will talk to a client about them and they kind of look at me blankly. This is because trines represent things that come naturally to us. We assume that this is a talent or a gift that is nothing special. Everybody has basically the same talent. The same is true with a nice planet like the Sun, Venus, or Jupiter in a particular house of the chart. We'll say, wow, really nice to have Venus in your fourth house. You must have a beautiful home or whatever. And it's a bit like complimenting a fish for the ability to breathe underwater. I think as astrologers, we have to thread that needle really carefully. If someone is sitting in front of me and things are miserable for them, they can actually be resistant to considering positive alternatives. They can't quite believe that the potential is there for them. Or they might even feel something is wrong with them because they have not reached that potential. So what I try to do myself is acknowledge where things are rough, but then lean into those happy aspects in the chart as a way of dealing with those setbacks. So let's say that the person with Venus trying Saturn is getting a hard transit from Uranus to Venus. And it's the worst case scenario. Their marriage is ending. They've lost their job. 
none of which is a certainty, by the way, when it comes to Uranus with Venus. And I might say something like, you're in a period of time when lots of things are changing, whether you want them to or not, because you have to be freed up to go in a new direction that's going to suit you better, especially within personal relationships and finances. But fortunately, your chart is built in such a way that you instinctively know what's important and what isn't and how to hang on to the things that are truly essential. You have this innate ability to rebuild relationships and finances. So astrologers are not necessarily trained in counseling or naturally good at communicating the chart in the most empathetic way. I would say that if you're connecting with an astrologer who seems overly focused on what's wrong with you, you know, maybe find somebody who's a little more creative about looking for those silver linings in the dark clouds of your chart. Elliot, I hope that helps. If anyone else out there has a question you'd like me to answer on a future episode, please leave a message of one minute or less at speakpipe.com slash podcast or email me at april at bigskyastrology.com and be sure to put podcast question in the subject line. Well, that is everything I have on my show sheet, so I'm going to wrap this up. Thanks for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please be sure to subscribe or follow the show on your app of choice. We love ratings and reviews, and I hope that you'll help spread the word by telling an astrology-loving friend. You can read show notes and full transcripts and leave your comments about each episode at BigSkyAstropod.com. Thanks very much to everyone who's shown support for the podcast over the past year. On each episode, I'm thanking some donors by name. This week, I'm giving a Big Sky Astrology podcast shout out to Sarah McNeil and Yvonne Alara. Sarah and Yvonne, thank you so much for listening to the podcast and for supporting the show with your donations. If you would like to support the show, please go to BigSkyAstropod.com. And if you donate $10 or more, I'll send you a link to access my bonus episode for donors only that was released just after the Capricorn Solstice. And you'll also get the upcoming bonus episodes for the Aries Equinox and the Cancer Solstice. That's it for this episode. Join me again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, visit her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thoughtful essays, find out more about her books and classes, or book a personal astrology reading. That's all for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to follow or subscribe to stay current with new episodes. And please leave a rating or review. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook or Twitter and Big Sky Astrology April on Instagram. Thanks again for being here, and we hope you'll join us next time.